Welcome to the Clemson Goes to Hell podcast. Chapter 2, Jezebel. The security collar wasn't what Clemson expected. A tubular mesh, like a superfine chain mail, hung between two amulets, each an oval just larger than the pad of his thumb. Victor and Clemson each pressed a thumb to an amulet until the mesh changed from gray to white. When Victor wrapped the necklace around Clemson's neck, the amulet snapped together into a seamless hole, and the mesh turned a deep forest green. Porous and warm, it lay comfortably against his skin, but tightened when he tried to wedge a finger under it. Don't try to pull it off, Victor warned. It could break your neck. Although alarming, that was something he'd have to deal with later. What all does it do? He let the necklace alone and it relaxed, flowing like a liquid until it rested above his collarbone and lay almost flat. The amulet settled into his supersternal notch. It would be easy to forget it was there. The necklace will report your location continuously and record audio and panoramic video. Victor related this as if reading from a brochure. It's also a key, part of your identity. Once we've entered you into the system, it'll allow you to open doors. Victor poked at her gladig, and an eight-foot cube with rounded edges faded into view in front of them. The near wall split open, revealing a well-lit compartment. Victor stepped in and waited. I assure you, this gondola is safer than riding a horse. Clemson followed his walking tool chest into the space. He wasn't sure what he was expecting, but rich wood paneling wasn't on the list. The featureless white ceiling glowed softly, illuminating wooden walls, brass railing, and a thick green carpet. As the doors swung closed, he rubbed a boot on the carpet, finding it both yielding and grippy. Victor poked at her brick again. Relax for a moment while the gondola fits us with drake crutches. What's a drake crutch? They keep our skeletons from bumping against the drake side walls. An uncomfortable experience, I assure you. They'll only be necessary until we're lifted out of the influence of the sphere. He grimaced at the odd sensation as if someone were massaging his intestines. And then... The ship's gravity will keep us centered in each of the ship's volumes. The walls receded, then stabilized, making Clemson grab the railing. The wooden components of his tool chest vanished, leaving the metal tools and hardware floating in the air. The light shifted to violet, then blue, then green, and Victor's robes changed from the reddish wood grain to a solid sapphire blue. Clemson counted to ten before the doors opened again. A dozen men and women in crisp sapphire blue uniforms lined a short hallway. Tight collars rose to their jawlines, and copper buttons made double-dotted lines up their jackets. Although their physiques varied wildly, most of their skin tones clustered within human norms. None of them had horns or tails. A woman barked something in a language that made Clemson's head hurt, but thankfully wasn't trade-speak. Victor spoke a single word, and the assembly saluted and filed out through the doorway at the far end of the entry hall, leaving only the woman... Clemson, this is Jotun, my chief of staff, Victor stated, a bored impatience laid over her trill. Jotun, assign a cabin to Clemson. He'll be with us until we find the hecatomb. Now, Clemson, I believe you owe me a gladig. She held out a hand. Clemson pulled the device from a pocket and handed it to Victor, who smiled and gave him a slight bow. Thank you. Please join me for dinner this evening. She glided off, leaving Clemson with Jotun. Your room is this way. Jotun stated in an oddly staccato Panthropolian. The Hellion walked to the door, then turned to face Clemson. Come along, alien. Don't dawdle. The wooden parts of his tool chest reappeared, so Clemson grabbed the handle and twisted, extending its wheels. He didn't want to get separated from his luggage. The corridor she led him through awed Clemson with its sublime elegance. 
The ever-present glowing white ceiling illuminated walls covered in a diagonal plaid weave of golden copper. Intricate wooden frescoes crowned the walls with illustrations of a story outside of Clemson's experience. Brass handrails lined the path at waist height. While they walked, Jotun accessed her Gladig and told him, You now have basic guest privileges. Your mobility will be limited to the servants' hall until Victor gives further instructions. She paused, then added with disdain, She's a big fan of yours, so that should be soon. Helene Crewman scowled as they passed in the hall. Clemson just smiled back with his favorite big goofy grin. Clemson stopped when he spotted a box rolling along the edge of the side hallway. It polished the railing with a mechanical arm. His tool chest pushed him along a few inches before he skidded to a stop. Hellions have monks? He leaned over for a closer look. Its slow jerky behavior suggested poor motion planning algorithms. He tapped on it, noticing that unable to infuse more workable materials with strength via alchemy, they had resorted to building it out of metal and some kind of resin. A boot to his chest sent him sprawling. Landing hard on his injured shoulder, he cried out and rolled onto his back. A deep voice yelled, Don't touch what isn't yours, alien. A large crewman loomed over him. Jotun stepped in with an open-handed attack to the man's throat, knocking the man off his feet and slamming him to the floor. Clemson blinked at the physics-defying performance. There was no way Jotun could weigh enough to do that. Jotun didn't quite yell. Not this one, Mikiziel. This is the Builder. If by some chance you killed him, Victor would slay you and buy out your debt for the rest of eternity. Clemson pushed himself to his feet while Mikiziel backed off, his eyes darting between Clemson and Jotun. A screech echoed through the hallway, rising in pitch until it coalesced into a pure tone. Grab the railing, Jotun stated. He grabbed the brass railing just in time to have the floor drop out from underneath him. Reflexively, he squeezed the rail tighter, and his head bumped against the ceiling. No, wait, that was the wall. He'd pivoted around the railing and hung sideways weightless while his stomach churned with motion sickness. The others in the hall looked on, smiling in various shades of cruel amusement. They all floated no more than an inch from the ground. After a few seconds, gravity returned, dumping Clemson and his tool chest to the floor. The Hellions laughed as Clemson picked himself up a second time. Jotun continued on her way as if nothing had happened, leaving Clemson to grab his box and follow. When he caught up to her, he asked, What was that about? Transition into void space. Oh, no, I'm used to that from portal travel. I meant the kick. He was just keeping you in your place. My place is at the end of his boot. The edge of her lip twitched upward. From his perspective, yes. Being led onto a Hellion transport might make you aliens think you deserve special treatment. Most Hellions would call it level setting. I take it you aren't usually into collaboration. We don't need you. As a race, no. And yet you owe me. How does that happen? She ignored the question as they turned into a short hallway that ended in a large archway, its portal blocked by a pair of enameled panels. A light above the portal glowed green. This is an elevator, Jotun informed him. It's the only way you'll be able to traverse between halls. A little peeved that Jotun felt she needed to explain elevators, Clemson asked, If it crosses volumes, doesn't that make it a hypervator? You are the clever one, aren't you? Jotun pressed a button next to the archway. People keep telling me that. I don't buy it. How do you know Panthropolian? We did some business in Panthropolis a couple of centuries ago. Centuries? Were Hellions nigh immortal too? The doors opened and they stepped into a room like the gondola, but cheaper. 
lit with a pale green light emanating from the ceiling. It's a long time to remember a language. She raised an eyebrow at him, but then raised the other inside. I took an edetic memory splice the last time I incarnated. Jotun pressed a button inside the hypervader and the doors closed. Even in Panthroplian, those words didn't parse well. That sounds useful? To be honest, I'd rather be able to forget. Bits of horror from his past flashed through his mind, and he shuddered at the prospect of being nigh-immortal and unable to forget anything. The lighting shifted to yellow, and the wooden panels in the doorway slid apart. Warm light and the smell of ozone, sweat, and machine oil spilled in. As they stepped into a corridor, a ball flew past Clemson's face. Jotun plucked it from the air and turned towards the projectile source. No balls in the hallway! Reduced rations! Down the hall, a grubby man in brown overalls whined. Jotun didn't back down. No whining, and I'm keeping this. She tucked the ball under her arm and stalked off, poking at her gladic. Clemson shrugged and followed. Compared to the previous hallway, the austerity of this one felt dingy. Light gray walls stood between white glowing ceilings and knobby gray floors. A chrome railing split the wall, and white rectangles with black text took the place of decoration. Jotun continued to swipe at her gladig as they walked. Clemson wondered what they did to keep her attention. He needed to prioritize figuring out how they worked. Ahead, a panel on a door flickered between white and black, then settled on being black on white with three prominent characters in some lines of Hellion script. Jotun stopped in front of the doorway. This is your quarters. Dinner is scheduled for three hours from now. I suggest you wash the stink off of yourself before then. The door opened and she stalked off. Clemson figured out how to lock himself in, then examined the room. It left much to be desired, but nothing to be required. It was spacious for a cabin on a ship. After 300 years of living in pre-industrial conditions, he found the stainless steel flush toilet to be a comforting amenity. He could learn to ignore the odors that clung to the lack of decor. Eyes closed, he sat on the floor and leaned back against his bunk. When he forced his blood pressure to relax, the world spun with his exhaustion. He sat, breathed, relaxed, stabilized his consciousness. But he couldn't sleep yet. When he felt balanced, he ordered his trunk monkey to help him out of his armor, laying the plates out to diffuse his odor into the space. With his traumatized shoulder, it took him a few tries to pull the jerkin off, but he knew that babying the injury wouldn't make it heal faster. Using water from the metal sink, he scrubbed a chunk of floor and told his tool chest to settle on the spot. Once it was set, he triggered an alchemical reaction. The bottom edge softened, settled, then rehardened with a sucking click. The chest would now adhere to the floor such that a thief would bend the floor before they could pull it up. A sink bath scrubbed the worst of his stink off while the trunk monkey set out his ceremonial robes, then took up a guard stance against the door. He had no reason to trust anyone on this ship. The first few hours were the most likely time for surprise attack, so there was no way he could sleep right now. He settled on the floor with his back against a corner of the room and meditated. From shoulders outward, he forced his muscles to relax. His injury still throbbed, and a mild hangover made everything worse. But he breathed slowly until he could let go of it all. When he reached a null mental state, he thought back to the moment he'd woke up and reviewed the past day in as much detail as he could recall, letting his subconscious pick over the memories like a gardener. The technique didn't eliminate the need for sleep, but combined with vigor, it would manage sleep deprivation for a few days. The more he thought about it, the more he regretted his decisions. Hitching a ride on a Hellion void ship may not have been his brightest idea. 
End chapter 2. Thanks again for listening. I have to admit I'm tempted to fill these moments with random chatter about my process, but honestly, if you're curious, just ask. This has been an Onk Infinity production. Copyright 2024, Robert Raplin.